Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel to you in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work day and night that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his, king, his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. May God bless the reading of his word. Indeed, may that truly uh, be our prayer this morning. I think especially verse 4, may I speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So it's uh, with great reverence I come to this moment as an opportunity to open up once more the Word of God to you. We're going to be focusing in particularly on verse 13 of this, of this text this morning, and I'm excited to do that. I initially um, was um, drawn to this text when I was still teaching at uh, the school that I was at previous to, to coming on staff here. Um, I had had my students memorize this text, uh, verse 13, uh, while at the same time in another class we were studying the book of Acts and the, uh, the early church. And I began to put together these things, and I think you'll see uh, it's pretty interesting. Paul initially went to Thessalonica, obeying the Macedonian call to come over and preach the gospel to them. And um, he, this is his second missionary journey. He had gone in, and as was his custom, if you look at the text from Acts 17, as was his custom, he would go into the synagogue um, and reason from Scripture. His, uh, his evangelism strategy was to walk into the synagogue, perfect opportunity to open up and reason from the Old Testament. Um, so he would do that regularly. Um, and despite the fact that there was heavy persecution in Thessalonica, the church was planted, 
The gospel was proclaimed, and there were many who believed. Um, in fact, there was such heavy persecution that they were ran out of town, as we read earlier. Um, but Paul now, in this letter, he has been longing to return to Thessalonica. He wants to know how they're doing. He wants to know, was our preaching in vain? Did we go there and preach the gospel and establish his church in vain? Is that all the believers scattered and left the faith? Or is there a strong church there? I'm longing to know. They were unable to go, um, and so at one point they're in Athens, and Paul is like, listen, we have to know how these believers are doing. We have to encourage them. We have to challenge them. And he sent Timothy. He's like, Timothy, you go, and you see how they're doing, and you come back and report to us. So the, he, Timothy had done that. He had gone to see um, how the believers in Thessalonica were doing. And this is uh, Paul's response to Timothy's report as he comes back and tells um, about how the church is doing in Thessalonica. He loved the Thessalonians. You can hear it in this, uh, these opening chapters. Uh, like we read, look at verse 7. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you become very dear to us. He loved them dearly. And particularly, what he was most excited about was seeing the response to the preaching of the gospel. Because their response proved my ministry is not in vain. They love the word of God. They're responding to the gospel. They're repenting of sin. They're trusting in Christ. There is a church being built. They're running to the word of God and building their lives upon it. They're being sanctified. They're growing, and they're even going and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And so he spends most of chapters one and two of this entire book giving thanks to God for his work in their hearts through the word of God, which is ironic if you think about it because it is the word of God. So why is it that the Lord in his sovereignty inspired whole two chapters on how the Thessalonians responded to itself, if that makes any sense? This is a very important matter. It really matters how we respond to the word of God. If God has spoken. Our greatest responsibility, our greatest duty is to listen. It's to listen and obey. Well, I would be amiss if I didn't take a moment and just thank God for you, Oak Park, for your love of the word, for the way that the word of God is shaping and molding you, for the way that you're hearing it, you're receiving it, and you're ex accepting it. Oak Park is known for loving good preaching, loving solid biblical teaching. You will not settle for shallow, which is a high expectation. And it, you know, puts me, it makes me a little nervous, but at the same time, man, I'm so thankful for that expectation. You will not settle, settle for what is shallow, but you demand and you're passionate for the truth to be proclaimed from this pulpit. Hallelujah. In fact, I hear many of you all, and this is, this, just so you know, this is one of the most encouraging things you can say um, to a pastor when he's, uh, when he's faithfully proclaimed the word to you is you can go up to him and say, man, that was convicting. 
That's encouraging to us as believers. You all love conviction. I hear it often. Man, that was so convicting. Thank you. That's like saying, man, that hurt real good. <laughs> like, what? what are we, masochists? We love the Holy Spirit convicting us, bringing us pain because we're living in sin and we desire to change. Why do we love that? We love it because it's God's work in our hearts. It's a joy to shepherd you because of your high expectation. You don't come with itching ears, but rather you love it when the master surgeon pierces to the vision of soul and spirit with the two-edged sword. You long for the Holy Spirit to work through his word in your heart. I've been studying 1 John, and I've always thought it interesting. The way that he opens the book is by saying, I'm writing to you so that our joy may be complete. And I've always just gone back and searched, are you sure it says our joy? Shouldn't it say I'm writing to you so that your joy should be complete? But I think I know now what he is talking about. He's faithful to write the word of God, to teach the word of God, to preach the word of God, because there's nothing that brings greater joy than watching God, than being an instrument for God to work through and see him work in the lives of people. Paul said to the Thessalonians, what is our joy? What is our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus when he returns? He says, it's you. You are our joy. You are our crown. Because of the way you've heard, received, and accepted the word of God. And so my argument this morning is that God is speaking. And our greatest duty, therefore, is to hear, is to listen, is to obey. The great text in the Old Testament known as the Shema, the reason it's called the Shema is because it begins with the word Shema. And the word Shema means hear. You know the text, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. But notice the first command is not love, though that's the most important one, the greatest one. The first command is hear. It is essential that we be a hearing people, a listening people. We are eager to hear what God has to say. God has spoken. That in and of itself is a miraculous, awesome truth. It is our duty then to listen. And so, hear, church. Hear, Oak Park. We'll look at three ways this morning that the Thessalonians heard, received, accepted the word of God. How were they good listeners? Number one, they received the preached word with joyful anticipation. They received the preached word with joyful anticipation. Look at verse 13. We thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, how did they receive it? How did they receive it? Which you heard from us through this preaching, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you Believers, Let's look more closely at the ways that Paul gives thanks for their reception of the word. If you look at chapter 1, look at verse 6. The second half of the verse, he says, You received the word in much affliction. 
but you received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the word with great joy in the Holy Spirit. They received it with conviction. Look at verse 5. Our gospel has come to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He's rejoicing over that. He's thanking God because of that. Because it means the Holy Spirit is at work. He's illuminating hearts. He's guiding. He's leading. He's at work in us. And so we ought to come to this moment with great joyful anticipation, with great expectation. How you listen, how you hear, and how you receive the word is actually evidence of your salvation. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. We know, brothers, how? For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How could he possibly know that? He can't open their heart and look in and see what God is doing. How, is he, how does he know that God has chosen them? Verse 5, because our gospel came to you, not in word but only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It's evidence of your salvation, how you hear the word of God proclaimed. How you receive the word when it's cracked open is evidence of what God is doing in your heart, what God has already done in your heart, of his election of you. It's evidence of that. Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Do you hear his voice when the word is opened? That's evidence of whether or not you know the shepherd. The followers of Jesus are teachable. When his word is open, they are attentive. They listen. They're on the edge of their seats waiting to hear from God. It's a beautiful moment. Why? Why do believers come Sunday in and Sunday out and, and they sit on the edge of their seats waiting to hear from God, waiting to hear from their shepherd? Well, because they know that he will lead them by still waters. He will restore their soul. He'll lead them in right paths. He'll lead them with his rod and his staff, comforting them. And he does all of this through the preached word as they dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so we come with joyful anticipation. It's like Ezra at the covenant renewal. They had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and they come to this moment where they're going to renew the covenant. They build this huge wooden platform. We call it a pulpit today. That's why we call it. And they built this huge platform so that the word of God could be opened and read in the sight of all the people. It was taught and proclaimed. They gave the sense so they could understand. And this, huge, this is a huge moment in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, Ezra the priest, he opened the book in the sight of the people. This is a very reverent moment. And when and as he opened it, all the people stood. This whole nation, as one people, they stand in anticipation for the word of God to be read. For the word of God to be proclaimed. Do you have that kind of expectation for this moment? You're not doing your pastors a favor by having a low expectation for this moment. 
Though it does amp up the pressure a little bit when you have high expectations, my confidence, by God's grace, shouldn't come from my ability or my preparation or anything that having to do with me, but rather from the authority of God's word. You're not doing your pastors a favor by having low expectations, and you're not serving yourself, you're not serving others if you have a low view of this time on the Lord's day. In fact, you have a vital role in preaching in this pulpit. You may not think it, but Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Your expectation for this moment is way more impact than you know. You come to this moment, this is the Lord's day. This is a holy time. This is a sacred desk, not because it's been blessed by a priest or something, but because of what's happening across it. Each week, the word of God is opened. God, the Father, has spoken. Jesus Christ, the Son, even right now, is at the Father's right hand. And you know what he's doing? He's praying for this time. He's praying for us that we would hear, that we would receive the word of God, respond to it. The Holy Spirit has not only inspired this word, but he's at work in us, convicting, illuminating, leading us and guiding us into all truth. This is a holy time. This is a glorious, miraculous event, and we ought to expect great things when the word is opened. We ought to expect a feast. Do you come hungry? Hopefully not literally. You should eat breakfast, you know, be prepared, you know, for this moment. Be prepared, get good sleep, you know, don't be Eutychus and fall out of the window at midnight when Paul waxes eloquent for a long time. Um, Paul thankfully had the power to resurrect him. I don't have that, so don't fall out of a window. But eat a good breakfast, get good sleep, be prepared for this moment because it is such a high and holy moment. How can you do that? Well, be in prayer. Specifically, one of the things you can do is pray through one of the stanzas in Psalm 119 to prepare your heart, to till the ground, to receive the word of God. How do you prepare for this? Pray for the only part of that whole process I just explained that's fallible. And that's the instrument that God chooses to use. You notice the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all active in this process. That says something. But he also chooses to use fallible men. And so lift up your preachers. Lift them up. Pray for them. Pray as Paul prayed. He said, pray for me that words may be given me in preaching the mystery of the gospel and that I may preach it boldly as I ought to. The word of God demands to be handled rightly and to be proclaimed boldly. So pray for your pastors. Prepare for this moment, but come hungry Come hungry, come expecting a feast. Think about the prophets of old. They would preach and proclaim the word, they would write it down on scrolls, and then they would eat that scroll. <laughs> As an illustration, what happens 
in the preaching and the proclaiming of the word. It's nourishing our souls. We need it. Come desperate. Come hungry. Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Paul continues that illustration when he says, I, we, I, was, I was like a nursing mother with you, gentle. Long for that pure spiritual milk. Manage your expectations. What are you hungry for? What do you come to this moment hungry for? Your best life now? Promises of health and wealth? Someone to stroke your ego or to ease your conscience? Make you comfortable with that new idol that you are obsessing over? If those are your desires, your hungers, it's my prayer that you would leave here today starving. That's not our goal in the preaching of the word. My prayer is that you would realize your deepest need, and that is for the very word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or do you come hungry? Do you yearn for the right things? Do you yearn for that pure spiritual milk of the word? Do you yearn for the joy and the freedom that the gospel brings? Do you long for the solid food, the meat of the word that rebukes, exhorts, that builds up, that sanctifies? My prayer is that we would be satisfied by the feast that is laid out in front of us each week. That we would come hungry and we would leave filled. Let that be our prayer. Is that not what we desire? I know that's what you desire. Let's pray to that end. Jeremiah Burroughs was a Puritan pastor, and he said this in preparation for this moment, preparation for the Lord's Day preaching. He said, first, when you come to hear the word, if you would sanctify God's name, you must possess your souls with what it is you are going to hear, that what you are going to hear is the word of God. Therefore, you find that the apostle, and he's quoting this text, Writing to the Thessalonians, he gives them the reason why the word did them so much good as it, as it did. It was because they heard it as the word of God. They received it as the word of God with joyful anticipation. Number two, hear the word, hear the preached word with eager examination. As I said... Acts 17 is where we're introduced to the Thessalonians. We're introduced to the city of Thessalonica. Paul goes there and preaches. And if you kind of trace through that text that we read early, you'll, earlier, uh, you'll, you'll see what we just talked about, that Paul goes in, he reasons with them uh, from the synagogue. But uh, by and large, the Jews totally rejected him. He was, he was only in the synagogue for three weeks. And then beyond, he was in there, he was in Thessalonica for longer, but the Jews ran him out of town when... Um, they heard him preach that Jesus is the Messiah and that he would suffer. They didn't want their power, their influence to be taken away. So they run him out of town. But a few did believe. A few of the devout Greeks, not a few of the leading women. And um, 
By and large, though, Thessalonica was known for the place where Paul was run out of town. You can almost, you can almost imagine him dusting off his feet as he leaves. Thessalonica was known as a place that rejected the word. In fact, when they go on to Berea, the next town, 50 miles away, and they're preaching in the synagogue once again, the Bereans are actually receiving the word. If you look in Acts chapter 17, this is where our scripture reading came from, look in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, you'll see how the Bereans accepted the word. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And this is what I'd always thought of. I've always thought, be a Berean, don't be a Thessalonian, right? Be a Berean, be a good listener of the word, receive the word and hear it, right? You've always heard that, be a good Berean. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Well, after these Bereans begin to accept the word, the Thessalonians are still upset, and they march on Berea and run Paul out of town there. They pursue him. It's like, we're not going to care just by our city. We're just trying to get rid of you out of this whole region. The Thessalonians were known as the rabble-rousers. They raise up this riot to kick him out of town. And now, in this text... Their condemnation had become their commendation. The Thessalonians were known for rejecting the word and kicking him out of town. At least the Jews in town were. But now, Paul is giving thanks for the way that the word of God is being received and heard. It's being heard with eager examination, just like the Bereans did they were eager. They had a joyful expectation. But they also examined the word. They examined the word. They searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. You can just see him after a service in the synagogue. All gathered around the, the word and the scroll of Isaiah maybe. And they, they scrolled out. Now what did he say? He said that he was the servant of the Lord and that he had to suffer and that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities. You can see, well, it says it right here. Is this talking about the Messiah? And they're, they're reasoning, they're trying to understand. Is this true? Is this gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth as our great Messiah and laid down his life as a suffering servant and was raised on the third day? And if we will put our trust and our faith in him, we can be saved. Is this truth and they search the scriptures daily. Be a Berean. Search the scriptures daily. Have a critical listening ear. Be critical listeners. Test everything that you hear against the word of God. This is hugely important. And it would be a terrible thing if your pastor said, no, 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 don't, you don't need to read the Bible for yourself. We got it. That seems almost laughable to us now because as, as Pastor Nathan just prayed earlier, we each have, we've got the word of God in our hands, on our phones, on the screens. The word of God is accessible to us. Whew. Take advantage of that. Do not let that be a judgment upon you when Christ returns, that you had access all along, but you never let preaching of the word, whet your appetite to study the word and examine it for yourself, to dig deep into scripture and test everything that you hear against the word of God. 
Paul reasoned, he explained, he persuaded, he was trying to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And they go and they search to see if those things were true. We should do the same thing. Be prepared for that community group discussion over the sermon. Be prepared. Write down questions even now as you're thinking about what is it that, we, that would be most helpful for us to discuss. Come prepared. Think about it. Ask questions. Ask questions. This is how I primarily grew early on in my, in my walk with Christ. I would study the word on my own and when my, one of my pastors, he knew if he saw me, he knew I was coming. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, he saw me coming, he knew exactly what I, he, I had a list of questions to ask him because I was so hungry and diving into the word. Let that be us. You're not going to accidentally grow in your faith. Oh, I tripped. Oh, I'm suddenly holy. It's not gonna happen. You've got to discipline yourself to go and examine and study and read. I once heard a, a pastor, a, a young adult pastor, talking about a, a young disciple he had taken on. And he said he began meeting with him, and in the first couple meetings, he would say, oh, turn in your Bible to this passage. And, and he had trouble finding it, and so he had to help him find it. But she didn't think that much of it, because if the guy, was, you know, he's just become a believer, you wouldn't think much of that. But then... After a couple more meetings, he would ask him to read, oh, read right here. And the young man would say, no, 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 you read it. Well, eventually, he figures it out. This guy is illiterate. He doesn't know how to read. And this, this young pastor, he says, we have to teach you to read. Like, God revealed himself in a book. You need to learn to read. Like, this is important. And so he began teaching him how to read and teaching him grammar and teaching him the basics so that he himself could go and read and study. It's, it's, it's crazy, but yet it's true. God has revealed himself in a book, and he's placed it in your lap. Embrace it. Search it. Know it. And maintain an eagerness Manage your expectations. Maintain an eagerness to hear the word of God. It's similar how you listen on a Sunday morning. Like we said, it, Paul ties it to, this is evidence of your salvation. Well, just like your salvation, how you hear, it's, it's very similar to how we are saved. If you hear the word of God, that God loves you, that he sent his son to die in your place so that if you will put your faith and trust in him, he will save and redeem you. If you hear that gospel, that good news, and you refuse to listen, and you reject it, that's on you. If you dismiss it as man's word, ah, that's Paul's opinion. Oh, that's just the pastor's, that's just what the pastor thinks. Or you raise a big stink about it, or you stir up gossip or dissension over it. Or you do one of the most successful schemes of Satan. You dismiss it because it's boring. That's on you. Jesus, how many times did Jesus say, Have you not heard? We are to be listeners. But if you have ears to hear the faith once for all delivered to the saints, 
that the man of God reasons from the scriptures. And you receive with eagerness the implanted word, and you search the scriptures daily to see whether those things are so. And God opens your heart to the mystery of the gospel, and your eyes are opened to the truth of his word, and your heart receives all of that is the Holy Spirit's doing. All glory to God. There's way more going on in this moment than meets the eye. There's a deeply spiritual activity. We, we talked about what God is doing in this moment, but what is Satan up to? Jesus himself said that when the word is sown and that seed falls on the path, what comes and snatches it away? That little bird comes and snatches it away. He says, that is Satan. When the word is heard and not understand, not understood, it's Satan snatching it away. Satan is at work in this moment. Engage in spiritual warfare. Put on the armor of God and be prepared to fight. Now, you notice that I said be a critical listener. But I did not say have a critical spirit. We have to fight against the temptation to have a critical nature. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus said, they began to press him hard and to provoke him to catch him in something he might say. We don't want to have that attitude. In fact, in the end of this book, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So that ought to be our stance toward the ones who bring the word to us. So we have to have, we have to examine and test what we hear but we also, and this brings me to my third point, we accept the preached word as authoritative exhortation. We accept the preached word as authoritative exhortation. We receive it humbly. How did they accept it? They received it, they heard it preached, and they accepted it, verse 13, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. In our discipleship class, we're studying church history, and one of the reformers we may touch on briefly is Heinrich Bullinger. And he said in one of their confessions, Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is preached and received of the faithful. Peter says, to the one who speaks, let him speak as one who's teaching the very oracles of God. Paul says, pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly as I ought to speak. The truth and the good news of Jesus laying down his life for us, such that if we will turn from our sins and turn toward him, ought to be preached boldly. It demands to be. 
Christopher Ashe, in a helpful book on hearing the word, he says, the preacher's authority is a borrowed authority. Like I said, I don't stand here in my own authority. It's not because they're gifted or eloquent that preachers have authority. In fact, that robs God of his glory. Rather, and it's not because they've been ordained or have titles or degrees or qualifications or because they're recognized by the churches or by denominations. Rather, he says, when the Bible is faithfully opened up, we are to listen to the preacher's voice as the voice of God himself. The preacher stands in the great tradition of prophets and apostles who spoke the word of God. He says, unlike them, the Christian preacher cannot offer new or fresh ideas to add to the Bible. It's not what we're doing. But like them, there is a borrowed authority to speak what God wants spoken. And we ought to listen to this kind of sermon with the utmost seriousness. My job this morning, what I want to accomplish is to elevate your view of this sacred task, of this sacred moment. Scripture says not many should be teachers. They will face stricter judgment. But oh, the joy. Oh, the joy that comes with being used by God to preach his word. Scripture tells us every one of us will stand in judgment for the words that we say. In fact... It says you will stand in judgment for every idle word that you speak, every careless word that you speak. Not just the intentional, hurtful ones, but even the ones that you say carelessly, you'll stand in judgment for. But, have you thought about this? God never speaks an idle word. He's never spoken a careless word. He is only ever very intentional. Think back to Genesis. How did he create? And God said. He spoke to create. In comparison to me, that is phenomenal. God spoke to create. I can't even get Alexa to do what I want her to do. You know, Maggie, she actually hears me, so she'll often, she'll just stop what she's doing. She'll say, play for the first time in forever. And then she like waits to, to see if it happens and she's wanting to know, do I have the power? You know, do I have the power of spoken word? When I speak, does anything happen? Imagine that. When God speaks, it happens. His word is powerful. He speaks, and galaxies and solar systems leap into existence. Hebrews says that he upholds that universe by the word of his power. And Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word 
that proceeds from the mouth of God. How important is it, do you think, in your daily life to be nourished by the word of God? In your weekly schedule, pursuing Christ, how important is it to sit under the preaching of God's word? Scripture says God has chosen the foolishness of what I'm doing right now. The foolishness of preaching. How foolish is it to the world to all gather together to listen to one guy mouth off? It's foolishness to the world. But God has chosen this foolishness by which the gospel is spread. The word of God is heard and believed. Faith is generated. It's a powerful thing. And we shouldn't be surprised that God's word is powerful. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he's praying and he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And in this text, it says, you received it for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word is alive, living active, working in and through us to bring about our sanctification and God's greater glory. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and who keep it. Moses' last recorded sermon, he says, as he's preaching to the nation of Israel, he says, I am setting before you life and prosperity and death and destruction. That is what is happening every time the word is preached. Life and death are set before you. The day he died, as he's preaching to Israel, he says, Take heart to all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Why? For it is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. The word of God created you. The word of God is what is sustaining you. And the word of God is your very life. Do you see the desperation? We need the word of God. We desperately need it. Every time the word is proclaimed, this issue is, 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 is challenged to us. Life and death are set before you. And so I say, Oak Park, to you what Paul said in chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the glorious privilege of sitting under your word being read to us, your word being sung, your word being prayed, your word being preached. Each week, we thank you, Lord, for this high, this holy privilege. 
And Lord, we do ask that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. As the Thessalonians, may our good hearing and receiving be evidenced by the way that we're walking, by the way that we're living, and by the fact that our faith is proclaimed to the known world. May we not just be hearers but doers. May we go and proclaim this word that demands to be preached, that demands to be spread to the ends of the earth. And Lord, may you bless our efforts in doing that. Make us faithful listeners. Oh, give us ears to hear. But Lord, work in us obedience as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.